0: listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon,
1: serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Hey, Chris, what's up, man? Hey, man, hey, man, I'll be right back. I'll be right back with you. Yeah, all good, man. No worries. Hey, welcome to Barcode, sir. I don't recognize you, though. Do you have ID with 2FA on you?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I do, actually. Here's my ID. And Chris can vouch for me. He knows me. We go way back. Oh, hey, Mike. Good to see you, man. It's been a minute. Yeah, man. A friend of mine told me about this place. And it sounds kind of odd, but I was given explicit instructions to provide the man behind the bar with the code word. Code word is bucket. Oh,
1: shit. Mike, you have no idea what you're getting into. You're about to engage in some phenomenal conversation about cloud, cybersecurity, SaaS, DAS, and some other crazy shit with only the top experts in the field. It's a new dawn of cybersecurity engineers from all walks of life up there. Sure you can handle it?
2: Oh, for sure.
1: You see that dark tunnel against the wall?
2: Yeah, the one that says enter at your own risk?
1: That's it. It's going to lead you to an elevator. You take that elevator all the way to the top. When it stops, you know you're there.
3: Yeah, man, it's actually called the barcode skybox. Only for the elite, but I'm up there all the time. I'll meet with a cloud security expert today, actually. So, Mike, if you want to come with me,
1: I'll introduce you. Yeah, I'm down, man. Let's do it. Okay, Mike, but there's only one drink that you're allowed to take up there with you. We call it the Skylab.
2: The Skylab? That sounds good. What's in it?
1: One ounce of vodka, one ounce of rum, half ounce of peach liqueur, half ounce of blue car. Salad. Splash of pineapple juice, splash of orange juice, and a little splash of Sprite. Pour all those ingredients into a shaker, shake it, strain into a chilled glass with ice, and enjoy. Stay thirsty, my friend.
3: Thanks, Tony. I'll catch you once both feet are back on the ground.
1: All right, fellas, y'all be safe. We'll see you next round.
3: My next guest is an experienced cybersecurity executive who helps organizations get confidence in the security of their investments using known security metrics for success. He is the host of the wildly popular Cloud Security Podcast, where he hosts weekly live interviews with worldwide cloud security leaders and practitioners. I'm honored to have the original Peacock and Ideas Man, lord of all things technical. Plus, he has the baddest beard in the biz right now. Ashish Rajan, welcome, sir. Oh, thank you for having me. That's such a great introduction, man. So I'm so honored. Thank you. No, nah, thank you, man. So I'm here with my special co-host, Mike, and we would love to talk cloud with you. But first, tell us about your background and how you got into cybersecurity, specifically cloud security.
0: Sure. Sure. So uh, just to show my age over here, I had a Yahoo account once in a while uh, when I started off on the internet. This is when we used to do, uh, what was it, ASL, please, uh, that are for people who remember from that time. So I was one of those kids who was obviously technical as a kid as well, but started a Yahoo account and unfortunately got hacked pretty much in the first few months of having it. I didn't even know what was happening. Uh, some of my friends around us all got hacked as well. But it was just one of those errors where there's no real guideline for how do you secure your account? You should not use the same password. Like none of those things exist. So everyone's basically hacking everyone. There is no government law or whatever, right? So while it was a... It, I took it almost... I won't say I took it as a personal attack, but that made me realize that, oh my God, there is this whole world that I don't know of. I need to find out more about this. So over the next few years, I kind of forced my dad to get a computer. And uh, because I was using my friend's computer, I wasn't even mine. (laughs) So I convinced him to buy me a computer. Uh, I got the first modem with the whole teeny, teeny. I'm sure if you guys remember the dial-up sound. Oh, yeah. Uh, So that's how old I am, I guess, (laughs) for people. (laughs) Um, And I kind of took it upon myself to kind of know as much about uh, this field as possible. So I did the mistake of following the education path of ma- doing a bachelor's and a master's in computer science, especially in cybersecurity. So I kind of thought okay, going for that academic knowledge would give me that insight and I'll know how to hack something. But that was far from reality. Uh, not, no hate against the master's degree. I'm sure people would love doing it because they love that kind of space and love the academia. But I'm more of a practical kind of a guy. So uh, my first gig was, I tried becoming a penchester and I hated it because I just could not make myself read a manual. I'm like, this is not the job that I want to do. And uh, again, no hate. I am sorry. I feel like I'm starting out by no hate, but again, people just calling it out. <laughs> I, I love everyone. Uh, I, I just think that I'm not cut out for a pen testing role. So I switched over to an identity and access management career. Uh, I did identity and access management in the beginning for about four, five years. And then we got an opportunity to start a startup. And the mission of the startup was... So this is around... Eight, nine years ago when cloud is still like, you know, right now people think cloud is normal, but eight, nine years ago, people are still like, oh, cloud is unsecure. Why would I move to the cloud? This is such a bad idea. I'm happy with my data center. And my status mission, and sorry, when I say mine, we were a, quite a few people. We think we were about 18 people. The band, got, The band got together, as we <laughs> called it. And uh, we had an example that a um, few of us had already seen the benefits of cloud, how we could save money, how we could migrate quickly. We could see the automation. This is before people started calling DevOps. Yeah. And uh, we kind of believed this is going to be the future. And we wanted to help organization do this as well, ongoingly. So we started a consulting company around it, started helping companies move into cloud, Initial conversations were about let's do let's talk about DevOps. Let's talk about why you should do DevOps. And this is the time when both DevOps and Cloud transformation, digital transformation are they all meant the same thing. They didn't mean different things. They didn't mean that when you do digital transformation, you could just be talking about APIs, microservices. They just meant you're gonna be in cloud. Like right. it was completely okay. Now nowadays people still talk, use it that way, but essentially they were Different things, and we took advantage of that situation to educate people and make them aware that hey, there is this thing. You can not just save money; you can automate, you can release product faster, you can take all this advantage. Plus, the security is A grade because they've been invested, like they've been vetted by DOD. Like there's so many certifications that they already have that you don't have to think about for your data center. And I say it's data center because people kind of tend to go brush over the shared responsibility model, which is where, yes, your data center is certified for PCI or ISO or whatever, but you yourself may not be. So you still have to go through that process. And um, so that was the initial piece that I, have, I used to work with. Uh, so I started doing cloud security about solidly sort of, six years ago. And this is the time when Australia became the largest consumer of AWS outside of the US. Developed massive market, There was a massive opportunity as well. I can pretty much say most of the biggest companies in Australia have been migrated into cloud by us, at least some parts of it. So that gave us a breadth of experience across financial companies, telecommunication companies, smaller companies, which are product companies. So we got a breadth of knowledge on how do these folks migrate? What are the challenges they face? And what's a good starting point? Something that didn't work for one organization or something that worked for one organization, Mm -hmm. we just transferred across.
3: Yeah, that's great, man. So six years ago is when you started to see, I guess, really the transformation of AWS, right? A lot of organizations investing yep. there and
0: you got yeah, a, it. looks like you got a head start on all that. I, I definitely feel lucky for that because I, I actually have funny enough, I had a guest a couple of days ago, uh, Zane Lackey from Single Science. And him, so we were talking about the companies who actually made cloud popular. Mm-hmm. And so it was Netflix on one end, and then there was Etsy on the other. Etsy was on the East Coast, and Netflix was on the West Coast. And they were both trying to promote DevOps, automation, security integration. I call them the, uh, the two-pack and the biggie of, uh, of cloud <laughs> and DevOps, because uh, they totally had... The, the two-pack was Netflix, which is still known in the cloud security space as, as this like, leading edge for what people want to be, what Netflix is doing. And Etsy on the other end was releasing products like anything. So mm-hmm. they, they were kind of like the biggie of uh, the, the East Coast. So yeah, man, six years ago, uh, sounds like, doesn't sound like too far, but it was a different world. I mean, I guess now pandemic has felt like a different world in one year. So six years is nothing. Yeah. And cloud's come a long way since
3: then. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say right now are the, the biggest misconceptions about cloud security?
0: That's a great question. And if you were to ask me this question six years ago, I would probably say uh, the biggest misconception is cloud is not secure. That now has evolved more to, uh, how do I not get into multi-cloud situation? It's a a misconception because everyone is going to go into multi-cloud. Especially if you're a big organization, you would either land in a multi-cloud situation or you would land in a hybrid situation. You Mm -hmm. would land in a hybrid situation if you... Don't have enough compute for some of the hardware that he uses. Like, when I think, I'm thinking of the banks, which is like a fintech company. That if you have mainframe. A mainframe cannot be moved onto a cloud. That that just we don't have the enough compute for it, and they might be some time before there's compute for it. So that's one misconception where people assume that they would never go multi-cloud. I was one of them as well, which is why I, that was the first thing that came in my mind. Because initially, I used to say, why would you go into AWS and Google Cloud and Azure, but Unfortunately, that's the reality now because uh, uh, if I can add a few more layers to this, every organization would have different requirements and each of these cloud providers are good for certain things. Like you would use AWS when you're thinking infrastructure as security. Sorry, infrastructure as a service is when you would think of AWS. Mm -hmm. When you're thinking of platform as a service, you would think of Azure. When you're thinking of big data projects, then you're thinking of Google Cloud. Like in the industry has already noticed that there are certain things that these cloud providers are good for. So if you are a company which has a lot of data, it's a no-brainer for you to be using Google for right, those projects. Right. right yeah. But you might not use them for infrastructure because they're not known for that. AWS is a lot more mature over there. You can get a lot more granular control over here. Um, Scaling groups, dynamic scaling and all that. Whereas Google Group, they have that option, but they're not known for it because they're still working through the maturity. So that's the first misconception. The second misconception I would say is, which is unfortunately still there, as cloud is not secure. And the reality is, yes, it's not secure if you don't do it right. But it is absolutely secure if companies like Netflix, Capital One, uh, I'm going to HashiCorp, like all these big companies they for sure put a lot more, con- they have a lot more concern than say the your little uh, mom and pop shop on the side who's concerned about security in cloud. Cause they definitely hold a lot more sensitive data. They definitely hold like capital one was a great example where it's one of the largest banks in the U S completely on AWS. They have Azure, they have Google cloud, um, but they, they're moving completely cloud. They're not, they, reason people trust the security of the cloud is because so much has gone into this. So many people have trusted it. There's so many eyeballs on it Mm -hmm. that even the smallest of things get picked up really quickly. That, to me, is a sign that, oh, if you do screw up, something would happen really quickly. Either you would get, I don't know, some kind of government action on it, or you would get the wrath of the general public on it, on Twitter or wherever, but something would happen and someone would take action ASAP. If you go to a, I don't know, I don't want to use Alibaba or Oracle Cloud as an example. They're good clouds, right? But they're not mature enough and they have their own markets. But if you are like a small-time player and you pay, I don't know, a grand per month, but that's that data just happens to be PII, like personal, personal information, they would not care. Like, yeah, whatever, man. Just like, I've got these uh, giants who pay 50K. Would I care about my 50K user or would I care about my $1,000 user? So with the smaller players, you're kind of in that space, at least with the bigger players like AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. There are so many big players in it already outside of those, using those services. They will make sure that shit happens. So that's the second misconception. So that's why I feel... If someone is still thinking that security is not something that they would trust in cloud, I definitely would ask them to revisit that conversation. The third one being, uh, and this is my final one, is the fact that people think the security in cloud is the same as security in on-premise. It is same to some extent, but it's different. It's the same way when you secure your laptop. It's not the same way you would secure your data center. That's not the same way you secure your cloud. So people kind of need to understand the nuance of how security fundamentals are different in each of those different landscapes. So those are my three misconceptions.
3: Great points. How about regulatory concerns? Are there
0: more regulations now around these cloud providers? From a data perspective, yes, uh, they do to some extent. But this is when they slap the shared responsibility model on you. They go by saying that it's up to you. If you want to keep your data, like we would guarantee our security of infrastructure, we would guarantee our compliance. But just because we have that doesn't mean you should put your data in there. You should only put your data into the cloud service provider if you trust us. That's what. So that's when they share responsibility. Now they basically handed the baton to you, and now it's the balls in your court to decide. Oh, do I want to do this? Because when shit hits the fan. They're like, well, we did tell you. <laughs> If you exactly. want you to put the data in there, only then put your data in there. So to your point, uh, there are regulations, but the way they get around it is by saying, uh, they, this this almost like an asterisk if you want to put that out. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we, we're totally, we have all the uh, privacy laws covered, but you are the owner of the data. So we would encourage you to do the right thing with your data for your customers. So I'm not nine to five. I'm a head of security for a company or for a tech, tech company. And uh, we, have, we are GDPR compliant, we have ISO and all that as well, right? But in any, no way, shape or form, we ever think that, oh, we're GDPR compliant because we are on AWS. That's never a reason. We're GDPR compliant because we have a lawyer in the UK who we pay a retainer for to maintain our GDPR certificate because who knew that was like a thing that you have to do for GDPR? Like, so we are a global company. We have offices in New York, like massive around US, massive around Australia, Singapore and U- UK market and Ireland. But we need to have a lawyer in UK so we can maintain a GDPR certificate. And, and I'm like, I love it. As a country, UK has done this really amazing thing that now we have to pay these random people on the on in UK almost like a a, a fine that you pay. Like, please, Mister Lawyer, make sure you say yes when the GDPR people come to say, have they been compliant? Yes, they haven't been paying me money, so they are compliant. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there's payment. a much more nuance to it, but this is the vision that I get, like the, from the little visibility that I have. What do
3: you see as? some of the biggest cloud security challenges that organizations will face in 2021?
0: Oh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so a pattern that I've noticed while talking to people has been digital transformation that we started out this conversation with initially. And the digital transformation has either taken a full, it's either completely stopped for some companies or completely accelerated for some companies. So people who have completely stopped those, so for them, they they're not they're not really they're looking at challenges. They're basically trying to reduce the exposure because some people, when they are under stress, they would want to go back to a situation where they understand the landscape. You don't want to be in a place where you don't understand the landscape. So they're choosing to be on premise for the moment until things get better and they get the push again. There were other companies who accelerated their digital transformation. Now, the challenges that I see over there for them, some of them obviously. Now they have the whole complex problem of people working from home. No one's within their boundary anymore, which is what the cloud is designed for because cloud is always on the internet. But for the last six years, the cloud providers had worked on getting these direct connect cables and all that. So you could feel safe that your on premises linked directly. Now, all that doesn't exist anymore because who knows for how long do we have physical offices? Right, we're we're coming in and out of the whole pandemic, coming in and out of coming in and out of spikes of viruses and all that. So, the first challenge that all these digital transformation uh, or companies going through digital transformation they're facing from a security perspective is 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 more the fact that how do we adjust to this remote lifestyle? What are the things that I should be looking at? Endpoint security, blah blah blah. Just add a lot of words. So, that's the first layer they're dealing with, right? and that's when the whole zero-trust conversation, that's why it's becoming popular again. Now everyone's talking about zero-trust because it's been a thing for 20 plus years, but now suddenly people are like, oh, we should do this because now everyone's working from home. So say, for example, you've kind of jumped that hoop and now you've figured out a way to have remote access to the cloud. The other challenge now you have is, which I personally feel is going to be really interesting, is things like SSH keys. Things like, how do I transform my security policies to this new world of remote working. Because earlier I want access, I just reach out to, hey uh, hey Chris, I need access to the AWS account, can you help me out with it? Sure, put in a request and I'll see what I can do, get an approval and all that. Oh, I can't get the approval? Oh yeah, the bus is just right there. But the challenge with now, the newer world I feel is going to be the fact that Chris has access to AWS, so he doesn't have to go through the process to give me an access, access to the account. You're just in your home and you're like, oh, it's going to be too much. I need to slack this guy. Like, I don't know where he is. or oh, if he Is he on his desk? I don't know. Right, so I'm just going to, hey, Ashish, I'm going to give you the access right now. Sir. But make sure you get the thing processed later on, right? I'm like, yeah, 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 sure. And you and I go about our way. So I feel like those kind of use cases are going to come out a lot more where there would be gaps that people didn't realize in their security policies that existed. Uh, because no one ever designed a security policy with the intent of remote employees. Everyone designed exactly. it the way that people are going to be in the office. A process would be followed. I, can, I feel for people who have a paper-driven process as well. Like That's going to be like, oh my God, I don't know how they're going to deal with that, but I'm just going with a much more nicer scenario that everything is technically still digital, Jira and all that. Um, so I definitely feel that's going to be the biggest challenge. Then you can topple on for cloud and whether cloud transformation, security groups, and all that. I think the immediate problem for them would be that. Now, for example, if you have already crossed that layer, you then that third bracket of you are, you were always cloud, you were always remote because we, we always have had those people as well. Everyone has been remote for some time. Over there, the challenge is going to be if you are a mature security company, uh sorry, mature security business unit in a in one of those companies, you probably have some kind of automation already. If you don't, then that automation scale is gonna be a challenge because earlier you could just walk up to a uh, and say, Hey man, uh, I'm gonna do some production deployments. Uh it's gonna happen in a couple of hours. You might see a few. Like, okay, sweet. And and you're just like, oh, thanks for the heads up. But now you're not even seeing each other, right? So, day to day interaction, like because you were walking around in the office, people see you, oh, yeah, I should tell Ashish about this. I feel like yeah. that's yeah. going to be one of those things as well. It's going to come. And it sounds so, uh, so simple and so naive. You almost feel like, yeah, how were we doing this before? Because you were in their face, right, earlier. Now, you know, it. Like you're just like in your little, uh, I guess, bubble for lack of a better word, because I was trying to be protected from the virus and safety is first. So you like, unless you're popping up on, so I've actually told my team to keep some kind of activity on Slack because you kind of see, say, Oh, who is this person? Oh yeah. It's a security. So you're almost like you're going to, it's almost like you kind of have to engineer yourselves to be not be ignored in the organization. So I would participate in public. Uh, so we have these online calls, weekly calls and all that. I definitely make sure I participate. My team participates because uh, otherwise people would just keep forgetting. Slowly, imagine doing application security or one of those complex things. And then you're like, oh shit, you don't have to, if you don't see me, you don't have to think about me. So I guess we'll just go to production. <laughs> Yay, we're in production. So uh, I, and I, I definitely feel, I actually don't know how many people are considering this as a possibility. Because yeah. uh, I'm sure a lot of people have been reading about it or might be seeing that security was never called in the, at the first time. And it was like, oh, there's a process for it. But if a company doesn't have a process, they usually rely on the fact that or the person's usually in the office, you look around, hey, Ashish, what do you think of this? Right? But that doesn't happen anymore. So that's that. those are, the, I know the, these are non-cloud centric, but I think into 2021, these are going to be the first challenges. And once you go across this, then you go into the cloud world. Okay, let's talk about the architecture. Let's, let's talk about identity and access management. Let's talk about uh, some of the more low-hanging fruits like network security. So if we were to just focus on the cloud uh, for 2021, for people who are already mature and probably in the more advanced category, uh, the, for those people, I would start with checking their identity and access management. Uh, for both robotic users because you knew there were extra users, right? So people used to think there are human users and that's it. But in in cloud, there are human users and there are robot users, programmatic users, which is why I was saying that the security in cloud is different to security on-premise and that's different to security in laptop. So it's just a different landscape. So you just have to train yourself for it. So identity access management uh, across your staff across your third-party partners who connect your systems because you're going to be even more distant from them as well. Uh, Identity access management from a change of role perspective. If someone leaves the organization, you would not even know. You would like, you see Ashish today, you don't see him tomorrow for one week. You're like he's, maybe he's on a holiday. You don't see him for one month. I'm pretty sure he's left. But <laughs> yeah. if you don't, if you don't have like a remote, uh, if you have a remote work, you have no idea Ashish left like a year ago. But he still has access to your AWS account, so so some people have to really tighten their uh, processes, and so and it's going to be a really uphill battle, I would say. How
3: good are the native controls in AWS versus securing
0: data on prem? That's a really interesting question. Uh, I'll I'll probably put answer in two ways. They're good, but they're not mature in cloud native. They're good in the context that they understand the cloud. Terminology, they understand the services you use. So it's easy to integrate. So, which is the other challenge with an on-premise solution, you they're not easy to integrate. They don't understand the cloud context. Like a firewall on your on-premise relies on an IP address and the port number. Whereas a firewall on a cloud provider would rely on an ID of a server or would rely on an ID of a network. It doesn't rely on the IP address because IP address is a commodity in a cloud service. It's mm-hmm. it's not something that... So that's where the whole concept of pets versus um, like cattle, I think that's, that's where it came in from. Because the whole idea is, we, you go into cloud because your infrastructure is immutable. You're not trying to SSH into your production boxes. You're not trying to deploy code by logging into a server. You're just deploying code through GitHub or some kind of a SVN. You're using some kind of a CI CD pipeline to deploy code. So the, you you you're moving away from the traditional concept of I need an IP address to connect to a server so I can deploy this software. That doesn't exist in the cloud context, or this should not exist. I'm not saying it's not there at all. It is available as a capability, but it's highly dis people discourage you from using it because that's not the point of moving to cloud. You might as well just do that on premise so got it the yeah so the other, so the way i see the difference would be the cloud context is obviously the first one the lack of maturity is the other one because uh, most of these service providers want to release quickly uh, a service quickly you would find that most of the services when they start they have limited features and people who are drinking the cloud Kool-Aid would just like, oh my God, cloud native all the way. I want to use this service. But as a head of security, as a CISO, I can tell you this, the lack of maturity also means that I have that much exposed, uh, that was, that's much exposure just by relying on a cloud native service. So if they only look for SQL injection, all the other OWASP top 10, are I'm just exposed to. I would have no idea how I'm going to protect with it. But people don't think like that. People who drink the Kool-Aid of the cloud, they're like, oh my God, cloud native. I love this. Everything I can, uh, they, it understands my VPC ID. It understands my instance ID. Your shitty on-premise software doesn't. Yeah. So I don't like it. Yeah. But what they did forget to mention is that the on-premise security products have had a long time to mature themselves in what should they be looking for. What are the sophisticated kind of attacks that could be potential people look at? Now, in saying that, I did mention the fact that they are not ready for uh, cloud because they don't understand IP address. They don't understand the context. They also don't understand the deployment model in cloud. In a cloud, if you ask a customer to deploy agents or if you ask them to deploy an appliance, that to me shows shows me that you're trying to do a band-aid fix for what used to work in on-premise. You're just trying to make it work in the cloud. Got what it. I look for in a mature solution for a cloud is it's all frictionless because integration is the key for any successful security product out there right now. I use a couple of products for doing application security, uh, I guess, some kind of visibility in application security in an organization. And one of the things that I love about, and, and this is what the industry is saying as well now, is integration of security products with existing tools is paramount for them to be successful. Now, whether it's integration with your CI CD or integration with your GitHub or integration with your existing cloud native security tools like AWS Security Hub or uh, Azure Security Center or uh, I think Google Cloud has their own version as well. Those integrations are get, get being given a lot more preference. But the on-premise guys are still working on their agent model as well as appliance model. So that's one problem. Um, so that's the difference. The other difference is the cloud-native piece. become... The lack of maturity doesn't really mean they're bad. It just means that the features come out slowly. So if you have the patience for waiting for, I don't know, one year, two year for some more features to be released, as a seed, so you probably don't want to take that chance. So it's not a great world at the moment. We are, I like to think that we are on, on that on a bridge at the moment where... We're waiting for the existing mature security products to kind of jump onto the cloud bandwagon and become built in the cloud, as they they say. And we're also waiting for the cloud-native tools to be mature enough that we can just use them because they're a lot more cheaper than what these other guys charge. So it's it's like it's not a great world to be. We're kind of in the middle. So what you would find a lot of people like we do this as well. We 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 kind of had to use the bandit fix. So we have security products in our cloud services. We have endpoint protection. We have IPS IDS. But these are all being deployed using the traditional model of agents, which means when someone wants to go serverless, I kind of have to think twice because that means I, I, my application security needs to be a super tight for me to be able to let go of everything else. Oh, IPS, yeah. IDS, forget all that, right? And now you're just like, it's just code. It's going to run completely on someone else's. It's going to scale out automatically. And I'm like, I just hope there is nothing malicious in there. <laughs> it's like, we fingers crossed, right? So application security needs to be super tight. So, uh, I'm, so the reason I brought that up is because you, if you add the complexity of the, the the breadth of technology in an organization as well, I think I was talking to some of the, it's like we use containers, we use serverless, we use EC2 instances. So we And the same across AWS, the same across Azure. We're trying to use servers over there as well. So if you multiply that by the different cloud providers, and you multiply that again with the number of business units you have because each business unit may choose to work on all C clouds. The complexity of that is just mind-boggling. And the security team is not big enough and not well-trained enough to understand this. And I don't think we can be. So you technically would need one person for AWS in your team one person for Azure in your team, one person for GCP in your team, just to be up to date on how many releases are coming out. Uh, to give you an example of the, uh, of the scale of releases, December, January was uh, AWS reinvent, one of the biggest uh, event for AWS. They had about 600 releases. Not all of them would be relevant for you, mm. but you still have to go through 600 to see which ones are relevant for you. Because like, well, so you someone have would have to spend some time. And how many people are going to spend 600 or spend time reviewing 600 services? Like, people don't even review the kind of services that are currently being used in their organization right now, to start with, to narrow down the list. And then you add to the complexity of majority of the things. I I'm talking about a really ideal scenario for a security team. You have the luxury for having an Azure guy, a Google Cloud guy, or a girl, or a Google Cloud guy as well. And you almost go, wow, uh, I when was the last time I was in an organization where security team that had that kind of liberty? So as a security team, it's even more paramount for us to be working with engineering and developers. That's how you scale. That's how you have the whole security champions. Because I'll be honest, man. The, the future at just being security is not great because we are going to be slapped by this mountain of a problem that's growing in front of us. And a lot of us would not even know when it hits you. So I'm starting now and that's why the whole podcast and that's why me talking to people... Find security champions. They're all. They're always there. Uh, I'm even happy to tell people on how, the things that we used to identify those uh, security champions. But I i, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely recommend that problem and uh, so that challenge to be solved sooner rather than later. But hopefully that answers your question. I know went for, for a waffle there, but
3: no, no, that's a great answer. What would your advice be to those individuals that are seeking professional development to learn cloud? or even the organizations, potentially SMBs, looking to invest in a learning platform for employees to become better versed in cloud?
0: Uh, the, so there is a gap, I'll, I'll be honest. If the person listening to this, uh, guy or gal, uh, you are in an AWS environment, I would definitely do some of the AWS certifications, get to understand the AWS landscape. But I'll, I'll, I'll do that with a, a practitioner builder hat on to understand how... Do the engineering teams use it? How do DevOps teams use it? There is no training per se, formal training per se, from AWS, which tells you how to apply security in an organization using their tools. What they talk about is you should use, so I'm going to use a specific example of AWS, but it's the same across Azure and Google Cloud. They tell you we have auditing like CloudTrail, AWS CloudTrail. We have logging like AWS CloudWatch. We have uh, X number of subways, services and blast services. And they always talk about, when you look for security best practices from a cloud perspective, what they always recommend is use their products. And they they would intentionally hide the fact for what you're missing from a security perspective. And I can understand why they do that because if you don't have a product in that space, you don't want to talk about it. Because then you're basically making the customer say no. So that's, that's how they started. So now they have a... Obviously, now they realize there was a gap. So they started the marketplace and now you can get your own on-premise uh, appliances on your marketplace as well. So uh, the the way I I would approach it is I would once I understand the engineering piece, I understand where they come from, I would look at the security policies if you already have some in your organization and see how that translates into the cloud. Once you have an understanding of it, as and once you start building some understanding of it, you would realize soon you need to start kind of building like an almost like an asset register for and I'm gonna go step by step. And as 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 we go through that step by step, you can think about the educational gap the individual would have to fill would depend on the gap that they're trying to fill in their organization. As you go through the assets, you would realize that you need to understand uh what are your crunch goals in those assets. Okay, so let's just, for the sake of this example, I'm going to say it's, I don't know, Facebook.com, for lack of a better word. And you identify that Messenger service is my crown jewel because people seem to just using Messenger 24-7. So that service needs to be protected. It's in cloud. And uh, by the way, I don't think Facebook is on any cloud. They have their own data center. So, in case people just go out and assume that Facebook is in AWS, they have their own data center. They're not using any of the cloud providers. And there's a reason for that as well, which I'm going to go into in a, in a different podcast <laughs> episode. <laughs> but uh, once we identify the asset and using the same Facebook example, we say Messenger is, a, is the most crucial service for us. And we now look at what are the AWS services being used by this? Is it internet facing? And um the reason I'm pointing out those things is because when AWS reaches you to cloud security, they tell you you should always make sure you have cloud trail turned on. You should always make sure you have logs going to CloudWatch. They don't tell you that you should make sure that if it's not public facing, it should not be public facing. If it's mm-hmm. not supposed to be public facing, it should because they don't have to. They just assume shared responsibility model again slapped on your face. Like it is your data. It is your application. You should know what needs to be done. So it's not in there. Well, not just the product suite, but it's not it's no benefit for them. Why would they talk about this? That's why I would recommend if you're starting off now, you've since identified the assets, you've identified the AWS services you're going to use. Now you start looking for how do I protect these services? Now, after so much bitching and mourning, as I was saying, because they're a massive cloud provider, now each of the services in AWS has a security best practice in their documentation. Anyone can access it. It's on public documentation. Again, it's specific to that product or that service. And the idea behind that is if you've identified the assets, you've identified the kind of services in AWS being used by the asset. I'm going to use, let's just say, EC2 and S3 bucket. to do two common known people. Everyone knows about them. So those are two services that you use for Messenger. So you might just go onto the documentation and there's a section in there for security best practice. You can just have a look at that and what they recommend. They talk about encryption, but you would find that because you've already gone through the exercise of trying starting to map some of your existing security policies to cloud, you would find you probably are already covering for most of them already. Because what they would talk about is encrypt everything in transit, in uh, at rest. They would also talk about have a load balancer. They would also talk about your security group. I'm like, yeah, duh. I'm like, of course, I'm going to do that. But you'll be surprised how many people, like to Chris, your point, small SMBs don't know this. Mm-hmm. They, they just want to have a business and they want to make it secure, but there's not enough information out there for them to make that informed decision. So this is helping them as well, but for the, this is good for people who may be experienced too as well. The advantage here is now all the knowledge you've collected about AWS and the assets, now you put that to work with the experience you've collected for security or for all these years. Now you think, start thinking like a hacker. You know? Now put your hacker hat on, go, okay, if I were to attack this, what else am I looking for? Am I the network is that being monitored? No, maybe not. So maybe I should think of IPS, IDS, or some kind of network analysis tool. What about my server? Does my server have any kind of protection on it? Uh, I'm an anti anti kind of guy, but in some situations it does make sense. And this is weird coming from a security person. I'm sure it's controversial, but I definitely feel if you have an immutable infrastructure you should be able to design your code in a way that if you do get infected, kill the machine, move on to the next one. It should just happen. But not everyone is in that stage. So for people who are not in that stage, definitely put an antivirus. It's like 100% put an antivirus. Uh, But the reason I'm anti-antivirus is because I would love for people to move to that space where we're all using immutable architecture. We're all only deploying through CI/CD, only using GitHub or, well, GitHub is just a product, but you could be some form of code repository to push out code. So I know exactly who had put in that code. And I also know what kind of access that person had. So I have almost like a timeline. You can follow the entire chain. Right now, the chain is broken because I don't know if Ashish had logged in directly into the production and swapped something, that's where I'm, I'm going to go into the whole thing about why dev environments are different to test and why test different to production. That's where you land on that problem. But coming back to our uh, engineering piece. So as you start starting to peel different layers, now you think about endpoint security. There is nothing from AWS on endpoint security. They don't do that. So they tell you to go marketplace. There is nothing from them for IPS IDS. They they realized that they were losing the market for seam that's why now they have things for log aggregation in terms of a seam solution which you can trigger events you have guard duty for threat detection they have threat detection now um, same for azure and google cloud they all have some kind of a service but it's not everything that you would want to have as a security person so the as a experienced security person listening to this thinking, how do I upskill myself in cloud and be valuable for my organization for cloud as well? That's how you would do it. You probably skill up in cloud first. You don't have to be an absolute expert to deploy everything and deploy all services, like know what all the latest services are. You just know to be dangerous enough to know what a service can do and how do you secure it. And then you go into assets, look at what you have, and you start looking at what services are being used, go through the security best practice of that service on the documentation piece, see if there are some benchmarks already out there. Like if you're using Docker, there's Docker benchmark for security, there's Kubernetes benchmark for security. If you're not using servers, that is. Uh, there's server, serverless has their own things as well with IAM roles and all that. Once you've identified the gaps, now you start building towards, okay, what's missing in my policies? as Because remember we started with updating the security policy? So now you kind of fill that gap where, oh, this is what we're missing. This is how it would be different in cloud. Or you could use this exercise to build the cloud security policy for your cloud. So that's what my advice would be for those folks.
2: So Ashish, I, I've had the luxury of working with a lot of customers across many verticals just like you. And, and I kind of enjoy that avenue, right? Because you get to hear regulatory requirements, likes, must-likes, all that kind of stuff from yeah. healthcare and manufacturing and, and fintech and what I've seen more customers at least begin conversations with, if not actually do this with their strategy, when we talk multi-cloud, I've seen more customers branch out of just the big three and look at alternative solution providers like Zadara or Wasabi or even Backblaze or other, you know, storage or compute cloud providers. I guess my question to you would be, have you seen that in your experience? And when we talk about multi-cloud, When we start getting out of the big three who have been a little bit more established, are there Mm -hmm. any additional security practices or concerns or bits of information that as a business, an organization, or an InfoSec team need to consider when we look outside of the big three?
0: I would be definitely concerned for organizations going all in into a non-big player. I'll, I'll, I'll expand on this as well. Why? So I've had examples of people, I actually funny, yes, literally last night we, uh, on Clubhouse, we were having this conversation about Alibaba and how Alibaba has this massive uh, market in Asia, but no one uses them in the US. And uh, so, so this lady that I was talking to, Haran and I were just talking about the fact that, oh, AWS is the, the second largest consumer is Australia, the largest consumer being US and they still big players. Um, and what what seemed to came out of that theme was the fact that the lack of maturity means everything that we take for granted in the big three. And I'm gonna give actually quantify that with a few examples. Let's just say dynamic scaling. Auto scaling group that people call in AWS, uh, other word for that, auto-scaling group in Azure as well. But that whole concept of dynamic scaling is a custom code in Oracle Cloud, Alibaba, and all these. So you so the reason I would be concern a security person is because to me, that shows not just lack of maturity, but the fact that they haven't had enough people to complain about it. And going back to what I was saying earlier, if you just have 1,000 like customers, there is no benefit for you to think about the person who pays you $100 when you have someone who's going to be paying $50,000. But the person who has a $50,000, they don't have the patience to work with you until you figure out how to do dynamic scaling. Because if they wanted to do that, they would have just gone to the AWS straight off. I, I love how this economy is growing as well, because I definitely feel there's a need for more bigger players, more than just the big three. And the simple reason for this being it, the, the competition is going to drive more innovation as well from both sides, right? People would just wither away. Uh, and uh, I'll use the example of Oracle. The, the whole word on the street for why Zoom went down the Oracle path was because they got a really sweet financial deal to the point that like, it was almost free running the, the, the servers on Oracle. So, if you get that kind of a deal and you're uh, like, we're using Zoom, and you're like, why would you say no? Like, yeah, custom code, sure. Because I'm just spending money on uplifting the platform, but every, hosting is free. So why would you care? Because hosting is one of the most expensive uh, or I guess items on your invoices in most organizations because you're just this space that you're hoarding on. So that, that's, that's one concern that I have. The other one I, I, I would probably would say is, is the positive side where I feel if you have a specific need, like for example, if you are Dropbox, storage as a service, great model, I love it. And it also means that if I want to be, uh, if I want to have a redundant backup for my backup and disaster recovery strategy, I can just use Dropbox if I know I can trust Dropbox for it. Not that I, not that we use it, but if I were to see someone use it, I would not question it because I know Dropbox has been in this space for some time and they're trying to get into the business space as well. And you're using it for what it's supposed to be used for, just storage. You're not trying to do some kind of complex compute on it. You're not trying to be like, I don't know, some kind of, just imagine like the most complex scenario. So all, as long as you encrypt your data and you ho- have the key and you put that encrypted data into a Dropbox, why is that wrong? I don't see anything because you know, I'm just using it for storage. If the storage seems to be cheaper there, I'll put my encrypted backup over there because I know I can have access to it whenever I want because it's on the internet. So that that's so those are two scenarios that I'll call out and funny I know we keep saying multi cloud I'm saying multi cloud but there is a theme happening over there as well in the market where people are saying aren't you really saying poly cloud instead of multi cloud and I'm like oh yeah I guess multi cloud would technically mean you have an application using all three service providers or multiple service providers whereas poly cloud would just mean you have one application in AWS one application in Google Cloud one application in Azure. I'm like, yeah, but multi-cloud sounds better. So I'm going to stick with multi-cloud. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that, anyway, I just wanted to call that out because I'm sure p- your listeners may listen to the, like, why are they saying multi-cloud when it's really poly-cloud? Everyone gets it. I think multi-cloud has become the the single term for both the models where you may have an application using all three cloud service providers, or you may have a company with one application in each of those cloud service providers. It's still multi-cloud. This simplified, we have too many complexities in cloud already. Let's just not make it even more complicated with the semantics now.
2: That's great. I was often thinking, like, what would be a new terminology that we could use for multi-cloud? Because you know, in my mind, historically, multi-cloud has meant the big three. And mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that they're spread across. They may just use your examples earlier, right? GCP for the high-intense and the compute and the data analytics, and AWS for the infrastructure as a service. But it gets a lot deeper than that because you not just have multiple cloud providers. You have these other companies that will do just storage or just compute mm-hmm. or other data centers. And then once you start breaking things into containers and containerizations and immutable, I mean. You can go yep. deep down a rabbit hole and segment, 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 out and deep. Um, and it becomes very overwhelming for myself, right? I've been in the on premises data center most of my life and I've been trying to branch out into the cloud world and mm-hmm. just going through my AWS certifications, you know, watching reInvent, looking through the thousands of services they have. I as person studying for those certifications need to understand at least at a high level what majority of those key services do. I can't even yeah. imagine somebody who is in the IAM world, again, like things go to so many different levels and so much deeper. You can just get lost in rabbit holes in just one of these services. It's amazing. That's
0: right. That, and to your point, each of these is a job. Like I did identity access management for five years, deploying this for banks. So that was a job, a whole vertical just dedicated for identity access management. So to your point, and that's just one service in AWS or Azure, Google Cloud, like people think of identity next to imagine or each of these buckets as we call, I would like to call them as one singular thing, but they're not. They're, they're, each one of those is like a mile deep bucket It's like, you could just spend hours, years in this if you want to. Like, if you think about a large organization, identity and access management projects used to be, I think back before on-premise, it used to be at least like a one or two-year project because you're still trying to get the hardware. Once you have the hardware, you're like, Oh, what what services? Oh, we need the firewall. Oh, that's a two-week job before you can get a firewall port open. Like, But it's a firewall port open. Isn't that like a... Click of a button, add that in. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, no, no. It's like too weak because the guy's gonna wake up to catch a flight and go somewhere or whatever, right? Now it's like whatever the thing used to be. I used to hate that. So I, I definitely love the cloud world, but I feel like the cloud world has abstracted so much from the reality of what each of those fields are. To your point, each one of these is like su- such a deep expertise had kind of have Had evolved for so many years. We had network security experts. Where are they now? Right, like I think what what's happening with them. So now their roles have changed into DevOps engineers or DevSecOps engineers because they have to understand cloud and what networking means in cloud. The network security engineer concept doesn't. It sounds very archaic. It's like, well, I think my dad used to say this like the most pristine job. At a point, at some point in time, used to be the the carriage uh, driver of the queen. But where's the carriage? Where's the horse? And where's the queen now? Now you're just a, uh, now if you're a driver for her, I don't know Rolls Royce or whatever. That's a really pristine job in that driver category. So every job's evolving. This is that next uh, Rolls Royce for us, I guess, for the moment until the next Rolls Royce comes out. Where we're just changing roles, evolving. Now I don't have to rely on a horse and feed him and do all that. Now I just switch on the engine and just I like, go on my way. So this, the clouds are the same for us. Where on premise was amazing. Uh, for instead of us, me sitting in my little old laptop or my CPU, it was amazing that I could have all these servers and not worry about the heat, the temperature and everything else that has to go with the servers. With cloud, I went even more layer. I don't even have to think about it. I'm like, I feel like I should have five servers. I just click a button and 10 minutes later, I have five servers. So <laughs> that is like, we've attracted to, to that point where I truly hope, to your point, people kind of don't misunderstand and think that I know identity and access management because I know the service in AWS and how to use it. That is truly a lack of education gap that people are not thinking about. And at least I'm hoping I can cover that gap with uh, Cloud Security Academy because uh, And I didn't want to plug that in, but I, I definitely feel there is a massive gap. And I definitely encourage, if anyone in the audience is listening to this and even both of you as well, if you can build something in cloud security, uh, as as even as you're learning it, I would love to host that on Cloud Security Academy. Uh, even if you want to host it yourself, I definitely would encourage you to do something in it because there's not enough security people talking about cloud security. There's a lot of people saying, get this AWS certificate, get this Google certificate. But none of those certificates help in understanding and bridging the gap. All of us have collectively I guess, captured in our experiences for all these years. Like I've got a gray beard now. So, well, uh, Chris, you have some as well. <laughs> got but uh, yeah, yeah, you know, like I think, it, but that we didn't, it just did not gray. It didn't go gray yesterday, right? It's all the experience we have covered in the different scenarios we have seen, all this experience that we have covered as security folks. Someone needs to translate that into the cloud world and make it available for people. And that's the reason one of that. Well, that's one of the reasons I've got the Cloud Security Academy, but it's to help transition that because I want to be able to fill that gap because apart from people like all of us and everyone else who's trying to actively ask questions about this, no one's really talking. This isn't behind closed doors. No one's doing this at scale. So unless someone listens to this podcast or people like yourself go and ask questions from other people like hey, do you think that information has been abstracted for way too long? Like people don't realize how complex identity access management or network security or deploying service at scale is. And how what does it mean for security when you deploy this at scale? Because that's abstracted, right? Like I think nowadays the same thing is... Um, the the mobile phones of the world today. Like I think we are connected on the wife on our phones. I don't have to run back home to watch something on the internet because I have to switch on my dial-up. Like that, even that thing, as simple as that, so we've abstracted, i I can't even imagine uh, what uh, how I should do it and plan for my life. And I had to run back home to watch something. <laughs> but now I feel like I can just flick on the phone anywhere. Like I mean, mic as you're doing it. So yeah, man. I, I, I think you raised a very good point. So I, I I definitely feel and hope more cloud security folks come out, start sharing more knowledge because I I feel I'm the only person talking about this, and that's why cloud security podcast. No one else is talking about it. And that makes me go. Clearly, this is. I'm not the mad scientist over here thinking that. Well, I was going to use a Bitcoin example, but now Bitcoin seems to be becoming serious. Uh, but I'm going to say, with cloud security, definitely feels like the thing because the information we're being provided by the cloud service provider is very focused for them, their products. They don't want to talk about things that they don't cover for. Even if you look at Green Men talks, where they have customers come in and customers release their tools. If you look at most of those stocks, they're talking about problems they have solved using the cloud product. They're not talking, so you would never hear, say, uh, I'm gonna use Facebook example again. You would never hear Facebook go on AWS reInvent and talk about how they used a Facebook software to get to their customers quickly. They talk about how they used AWS Security Hub to be on top of their security problems. And look, we made an open source because we had to finish the gap that they could not cover with their security hub. So we had to create our own tool. And here it is. You should use this as well. So that's the kind of talk you're listening to as a customer use case as well. And I hate that because I feel uh, like... So I'm going uh, put to put something else out there as well. Even at security conferences, you would never hear people talk about a use case where they fail. They talk about how do you pen test a cloud environment? How do you look for CIS benchmark on cloud environment? What are the compliance things you should think about for, like no one's actively talking about these gaps that have been created by cloud. And I hope people like all of us asking the questions and being publicly out there, writing blogs, I'm hoping more people would do that. we hopefully in a I, I hope in a year or two, but I've, I, I'm being very optimistic uh, considering it hasn't happened in one year. So I'm going to give myself another one year and see because I, I definitely feel I did a, a podcast episode in December where we were at, we made a podcast about how more people should do cybersecurity podcasts. Because nice. there's so many divisions in there, like so many subdivisions, sub-disciplines in security. None of it ha- have been covered in podcasts. And these are like, full-fledged fields with organizations, institutions, certificates, like there's so much. Like, take any, even if you were to say, I'm going to start a podcast for cybersecurity in a health sector. I don't know of one. But, can you talk about for years about it? I'm pretty sure you can. And now even more because with COVID, now you can even more talk about it because like, this is the time you want to know how the health system works. How does security in the health system work? Like, what is happening to my data in, in the hospital? So, Anyway, I'm, I'm going to stop my rant, but I hope people he listen to this and put out more content uh, to as a podcast, blog, video, whatever it may be. And join uh, Chris and Mike over here just to talk about the gaps and make sure that others know about these gaps and they ask questions. So eventually, we get to these cloud service providers and find out, guys, uh, you're solving a problem for yourself. You're making us drink the Kool-Aid. But that's not solving our problem. It's just adding another tool into our kitchen tool set that we have to worry about now.
2: Shadow IT was a huge thing for, for a uh-huh. long time, maybe five, six years ago. And, and I'm curious because you're you know deep in, in the field, in the security world, in the middle of COVID. Have you seen any trends in any direction or have you heard any more about Shadow IT come up any more or less as a result of COVID?
0: Wait, shadow IT in cloud? Because that was the thing as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, shadow IT. I, I, I envision, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? I envision shadow IT as being customers using their own credit card, creating infrastructure in a cloud. Yep. You know, wherever they want to go, doing their own thing, writing their code, and then coming back to the company and saying, "Hey, here's my my CI/CD pipeline. It's good to go."
1: Mm-hmm. But I would
2: I would envision that because everybody's working from home, they don't have managers looking over their shoulders. They don't have all of the traffic and analysis that was built for the on-premises workforce. Again, Shadow IT was huge five years ago and over three years ago. Have you seen any change in that as a result of 2020?
0: Yep. Uh, I would definitely say there's been a positive change. And just so that I probably, uh, I guess, solidify this for an example. So you're right. When, my, when I started five, six, six, five six years ago, there's a story that I love by one of my uh, guests who came in. He was a CISO for Etsy for a while. And he had this conversation with a CISO of a company in 2011, 2012. And he asked him, hey, um, what are you guys doing? about the cloud thing, As cloud seems to be interesting. Like, oh, wait, 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 let me just stop you right there. That thing is never going to come into my company. We would never do cloud. That's it. Okay. So he goes to the CIO and he talks, because uh, he was curious, he asked the same question. that Hey, hey it seems like your colleagues are talking about cloud. What is this thing? I don't know if you're looking into this like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been doing cloud for some time. We had about 200 applications in the cloud and another thousand by the end of the year. And my colleague has his face a bit more like, what the? And it's like, oh, so you spoke to the CISO, didn't you? It said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." like, "Yeah, we don't tell him that because it, it like every time we talk to those guys, they just they just block it. They just don't understand it, so they don't let us go through. So we've stopped going to them. But they have almost uh, by the end of that year, they were gonna get thousand applications in the cloud, and the CISO had no idea. So to 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 your point, there was one of the reasons for shadow IT because us, us as security folks, and I'll be the first one to say it, we were all scared." Cause we have all these years of experience and now that didn't mean anything. You know, we were all pretending to be I know identity access management. I've seen all use cases of identity access management. How complex can this be? And then you realize there is something called a programmatic user in cloud. Like what the hell is that? So 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 you kind of think that, oh, everything that I knew, I have to unlearn some of it and relearn some of it and probably add on a lot more. So a lot of us may may not have been as open initially to the idea of learning new things because and I I totally understand like if you're if I'm close to my retirement I'm not saying all old folks older folks for doing it but if you're close to your retirement and you have like a few years left before you retire would you really want to learn that or would you want to learn how to fish? If that's if that's something that talks to you about Right. So we kind of had that initial transition where a lot more uh, uh, older folks were like adamant, nah, do not want to go through this path, blah, blah, So it's so shadow ID became a really popular thing at that point where everyone's just swiping credit card right, right and right, left and center and building these huge cloud environments. And then they soon realized, because the usage became so high and started putting critical applications in there, that they had to eventually tell the business that, "Hey, we have this thing that runs over here. we should probably uh, move it to a proper account because I can't handle all the bills and all that. So the business slowly started to get no- take notice because oh this is this cloud thing is good and uh, did you guys know about this cloud security guys? like, no. Like what? What we were never involved in this, and then security team or security or community started complaining about the fact that we are always called last. We are never called in the beginning. Yeah, no shit, you'll be called last because you're the ones who were saying no in the beginning, right? And I'm I'm just being honest because that that's that's the reality of and hundred. I was one of those scared people as well, so I'm not shy in saying that. Oh, uh, I didn't understand it, so I was a bit like, uh. But the approach that I used was. I don't know this. I know security. so why don't we work together to understand this? So when I was doing the consulting piece, that's what worked for me, and that's those five years were me just absorbing and almost linking what I knew about security to how that fitted into cloud. because every time I would get a complex situation now, like, okay, I got my security fundamentals. like all of us have our fundamentals. We know encryption, but how it's applied, what's the service is called, yeah, like, you know, it, it may change depending on if you're using HSM or you're using a service or whatever you may be using. The application may be different, but encryption hasn't changed. It hasn't changed for 40 years, right? Or maybe even longer. So we know the concept. It's just how to apply it is different. So if I just turn around when my engineering team comes up to me and I says, hey, we're going to use a service called insert new awesome service name. And you're like, okay. Let's talk about identity access management. How are we going to do identities? What kind of uh, users will be using it? Cool. All right. So you only have two users. What about encryption? Do we need, a, are we having any storage of data or any kind? Is there going to be transmission, internet facing? Like, that's not a cloud problem. That's just a security question. Right. So uh, that's when that started happening, I saw a lot of decline in shadow IT because industry started educating each other that, hey, this is how you become more friendlier with your engineering team. Because don't be scared by the fact that this is a new thing that's gonna just that you have to learn the complexity. Cause I'll be honest, when you log into an AWS console or an Azure or a Google Cloud console for the first time, it's overwhelming. You look at that and you go like, holy shit, there's a lot of services. That's like each one of them could be one year. And I'll be retired by the time I get to get through all of these services. Right? Can you, and you still set up free not... accounts for for training? Yes, you purposes? Can. Yeah, I think okay. what, for one year you can, yeah. You can. And I think it's, it's, yeah, everyone does it. And there's a reason why they allow for money free as well. Because once you start using it, you're stuck in it and you have your uh, services in it. So anyway, that's like, that's the whole marketing thing to it. So I'm not going yeah. like, to, it's, it's all a business at the end of the day. And I'm slowly peeling layers of it as I'm kind of getting deeper and deeper into this. To answer your question directly, Mike. So it definitely was a thing uh, five, six years ago. And so slowly when this community started kind of evolving and started saying, hey, we should... Um, we should be more friendly with the engineering because they're the ones who are building, bringing money in the organization. We're just a business unit who's supposed to support them. We're, unless you're a cybersecurity company, you're not the reason why the company is making money. right? So you're you're definitely at the bottom of that food chain. So the best thing you could do is help the people bringing in the money and enable them, whether it's through securing APIs, securing cloud infrastructure, or securing serverless, whatever it may be, and what that led it is, is a movement where a lot of cloud service providers started reaching out, a lot of consulting companies started reaching out saying, hey, how about we consolidate all your bill into one thing? So what that means is you don't have to worry about multiple bills as an organization. So they would go to each of these people who had the credit cards and say, do, do you know your bigger organization has a billing account, like a proper account? And you get all these advantages, you get an account manager, you get a dedicated person. So that they were being incentivized to consolidate that for the organization. So that reduced it quite a bit. Um the I and in saying that even though the consolidation did happen, I would be surprised if that's still not the case for some organizations, where there is a bit of shadow IT. But if you were to look at a percentage, I would say it'll be a lot smaller than what it used to be. I hope I answered your question. I I know I've entered a bit of history lesson there, but hopefully that answered your question.
2: No, it did, actually, because you're you're confirming what I had hoped, right? That in the beginning, there's a steep learning curve, customers, engineers, everybody. To your point, we kind of have to forget about the old way of doing things, look at the new way of doing things, and it's trending in the positive direction. I know that a lot of Mm -hmm. projects I'm part of I always try to engage security resources from the customer, right? Because yep. a lot of times security is an afterthought. They're not in the inception meetings. They're not in the project planning, scoping meetings. And I always try to bring somebody, at least one person. I don't care if they're a SOC, and not I don't care with their expertise is somebody to just have that security-minded focus to be in those conversations. Yep. And I love that it's trending towards the positive direction. You know, we're seeing more business and security, and IT, and infrastructure, and developers all kind of coming together to be a more cohesive unit. And I like hearing Thank you. Cool.
0: Uh, so one of the common questions that has come out on Clubhouse from a fundamental perspective has also been around uh, starting off with identity access management, like the different kind of users that have existed. Well, Two themes that came out. One was a bit more detail, bit more deeper detail into what kind of identities exist. The second one was kind of what you asked already in terms of if if you're already a security person, how do you get into the cloud space? What's what's that what's that route like? Another question being asked by people is that hey, I'm a SOC analyst. This I'm not an architect, but all the certificate seems to be an architecture certificate, or there's no compliance certificate. Who's the body that's governing it? So I I probably, for for those folks, I always say if you're trying to get into a cloud space and you're coming from something which is not architecture or something which is not traditionally sysadmin, the way you would approach it is, is there something in your organization that you're doing right now that has a direct mapping in cloud? And 99% of the time it would. I'll take a SOC analyst as an example. If you're doing analysis of logs, you would have... Logs being com- either logs are coming from a cloud service provider. If you work for an MSP, if you're working in an organization yourself, and you saw analyst for internally, you have a same solution where logs coming in from different services. Some of these services may be cloud, some of these services may not be cloud. But if they are cloud, you're you have already have an advantage because now you're looking at logs coming from a from a cloud environment, and you would try and put the same lens as you do for on premise and see which fits in and which fit doesn't fit in. And when you do the AWS certification or any of the other certifications that exist for the cloud service provider, you would be able to look at that and go, okay, we seem to be using S3 bucket, but I can see it's a HTTP endpoint. That doesn't sound right. Because you can see the logs coming up because someone's making a call to a HTTP endpoint. And then you can go back to your security policy and say, are we supposed to encrypt everywhere in transit and at rest? Huh, we're supposed to. So using something that you already know within your space is a great way to kind of build your skills towards a more cloud-centric role. And doesn't matter if you're a SOC analyst, doesn't matter if you're a compliance person, doesn't matter if you're a security awareness person as well. Because security awareness has still evolved in cloud as well. Like, I did not believe that until I heard that. I'm like, actually, it has evolved. And now we are remotely working now the security awareness component outside of the whole just phishing and all that, now you have this other component of uh, Bitcoin mining and all that that happens in, in the, on the fresh like the reason why you should not leave your keys out on the internet is a security awareness piece. It's not a cloud security piece. It's a security awareness piece that you should not put your uh, secret keys from the cloud onto a public repository on your Facebook account or whatever, right? That's all security awareness. Like, well, yeah, so if you look at if you look around hard enough everything that we know traditionally as an it per has been affected by cloud it just you just have to look hard enough so for for those folks i have always recommended that approach and uh the other question people have asked is if doing a certificate is enough to get a job the reality is no doing a certification just just doing a certification doesn't really mean you know how cloud works it just means that you know the service in a a well enough way that you can explain it to someone else what it does, but doesn't really mean you can have a, you can build an infrastructure for a public hosting website. So if I come up to you and say, Hey, uh, Chris or Mike, I want to build a website and I want to completely host it in the cloud. Like, great. Uh, I think you can use S3 bucket. I would also say EC2. That sounds like a great idea. Like, The certificate gives you that kind of knowledge for what kind of services can fit that, but it would not tell you what's a great model. Fortunately, this was also a gap that was identified and I'm sure hammered at all the cloud service providers. Now, all three of the major cloud service providers have reference architecture. But I'm going to add a but to it. Because the reference architecture, the reason they have the reference architecture, the way they have messaged it is to say, if you are a small to medium-sized business, use this reference architecture to deploy a web website on AWS or Google Cloud or Azure, or to deploy a database onto a Google Cloud or a Azure or AWS. What they don't say is, no one's vetting that for security best practices. Like the example that I gave of the website thing, I think there's they make the storage available public because it had to be because but it expects you to have the data just there but what if your data is more dynamic and doesn't work for s3 bucket that doesn't fit that model because s3 buckets can only hold static files it cannot have dynamic files honestly it's changed since the last time i know it, but i love this caveat and i throw this every time and i'll encourage others to do this as well whenever you're in a conversation with someone about um, cloud and you say something about a service and you get a, a flustered look for someone, you're like, unless it's changed yesterday, because you know how cloud keeps changing and they keep releasing features without like, telling, it, like, telling anyone about it? Maybe it has changed. Has it changed yesterday? Just just because looks like you gave me that fl- look that I wasn't sure if, if I'm saying the right thing. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it changed yesterday. As of this morning, there was an update. I'm like, yep, great. Good to you know there was an update this morning. Now I have my great knowledge. I'm not going to be actively looking at what kind of services are being updated. Because it's not humanly possible. Amazon, uh, Azure, and Google Cloud, they have hundreds of people on just one service. And expecting one person to know all the services is not fair. And and it's just not practical as well. You, no, nothing wrong in being an expert in one service, but it, I, I would ask people who are listening to this, going, allowing yourself to be okay with not knowing everything about a service. But knowing just enough that you can help your engineering colleagues to make the right decision because you've been doing security for some time so you have some fundamental understanding of it and you can work out the nuance of how it's implemented and what advantage of cloud native you can have as you flesh out the detail with them on the architecture. So when you look at the reference architecture, you kind of use that same, I guess, security lens on top of it and see which which one of these makes sense and which one of these don't make sense for you. And then use that as a a sample architecture and go, okay, if I were to build this, this is how I do it. Now, what that also means is when you go into an interview, you have solid stories for architecture that you have designed yourself. And you can point out the specific security things you would have seen there. Like I would pick that candidate over someone who just comes in and says, I have AWS certificate. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the difference as a hiring manager. So you would increase your likelihood of getting hired if you've already done that exercise. Obviously, it expects you to do work. Unfortunately, all of us have to do some work to get some knowledge anyways. Knowledge doesn't just come in freely-nilly. You still have to Google sometimes to find out the answer. Uh, so that's why... We, I don't know if you guys have heard the service, let me Google that for you. When people get that yes. lazy that they don't even want to Google it. So yeah, those are some of the other questions that came out. But yeah, I, I thought it would be helpful for your audience as well. Definitely. And thank you for sharing that. No problem, man. And this is the funny thing is, is this is... A, very common question being asked. Like I keep, I kept getting asked this question like every other day, and I, I did not realize this. I'm like, it could be this big ass thing that oh my god, you have to be this AWS or Azure or Google Cloud security expert, or even like a AWS certified person to an understand these services. No, like I know so many people who just did the old school way of trying out a service, see what it does, and understand it. No need for a certification there. This is what we did all day. That work still works. Yeah, I don't think you can
3: avoid it now. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You can't, like everyone's being shoved into like yeah a cloud world. That's right. Definitely.
3: So I want to get your take on CASB because at its core, a CASB protects cloud services and secures access to cloud-based resources. So in your opinion, do you see
0: this tech progressing?
3: Do you feel like it's headed in the right direction?
0: Uh, no, I mean, I'll I give you my short answer. I don't think they have a future. I'll just say that. And I, 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 the, the reason I say that is because and I, you could see this in the market already. So the five, six years ago when we started and uh, uh, anyone who may be listening to this and working in the Caspian space, don't take this in the wrong way. This is my personal opinion. And I'll, I, I I do want to give reasoning for why I think it's it's on its way out. The first generation of cloud and cloud security when we started six years ago was just education. Like people that just didn't know what cloud security meant. It just such a vague, vague term. What, what does it really mean? I don't know. I don't understand it. I'm going to not buy it, right? That was the first generation. So to give them some satisfaction, what people started doing is uh, all these Amazons of the world started having services like CloudTrail, auditing services, security services. So to give some comfort to the security folks, you feel, oh, there is something familiar that I know about this. Because I know what an audit log is, these guys seem to have an audit service. That was the first generation, but there was a gap there, and the gap was you did not know as um, as as a company whether you had cloud in the first place. That was the first gap. That's where Casby fit the path really well. There were that extended proxy. Any traffic going out from the from your organization out to the internet was going through a Casby. So you knew exactly what websites were being accessed. So you could have this concept of approved applications, right? Now, as things evolved, cloud got more mature, a lot more people were in cloud. People started realizing, actually, oh, I'm okay with people going into cloud. Now, since you've made a cloud an approved application, a like CASB cannot go into a finer detail for what exactly is Chris doing in AWS? Because it doesn't have the context. It just knows from a network perspective, it can see a network request going. So uh, that's the, and now if you add the whole remote working context as well, the whole on-premise proxy thing doesn't exist at that point. So that's why I feel it's on its way out until they evolve into a CSPM, a cloud security posture manager. Okay. So you, you can be, because believe it or not, I do believe they would be a hybrid world eventually. A hybrid world in the context of you would still have some data centers, some have multi-cloud, poly-cloud, whatever you're going to call it. So there would be a role for a proxy. There would be a role for a single pane of glass which covers your proxy as well as your cloud service provider. So if you can show a security posture of AWS along with whether it's an approved cloud service provider or whether the dropbox is allowed in the vpn traffic or one of those ones it needs to evolve it in its current form it just cannot i i can't i don't see a future for it and it may sound harsh but that's those those are the reasonings for it if it changes tomorrow and suddenly we all go back into the offices and people say actually you're remote working is shit. i love seeing chris's uh, chris in person every day because such a jolly guy mike i love miss my miss miss having coffees with mike every day and if we go back to that world, maybe it may change again. But with the current way it stands, I, I don't see a great future for it until they evolve into uh, cloud service provider uh, posture management. And some of them have already started moving in that direction already. The people who are using CASB have an advantage that they already have a proxy for traffic going out, on the, going out from, the net, from the office. So they already have that, which the, which the clouds don't. Cloud has given you like a direct connect and go. Yeah, there you go. You have a direct connection between me and you. That's what. Is. So they're not monitoring traffic. So what you can do is at least be able to have. If you can have visibility of the network and of the cloud, you you've created a space for yourself which doesn't exist right now. That's like you could be that next generation of Casby where suddenly it's you don't not only get the network information for what the cus what your staff is accessing, but you also get a posture information of your cloud, cloud service provider as well. So you get to also see whether I'm CS, CIS compliant on AWS. So that could be the next model. Um, anyway, that's, that's my thoughts on it. And I, I, I definitely feel it's one of those models that require a next evolution. But the evolution seems to be really only happening in the CSPM space, the infrastructure as cloud security space, Casby space I don't see much evolution happening alright
3: Ash so what's your favorite go to drink now I know you're you're a coffee fan uh, so when I think about you know drinks or alcohol I imagine you like a good coffee stout am I right Ooh. or you go a different direction
0: uh, I, I definitely am uh, more of a coffee person for sure uh, different kinds of coffee but as of last night because I tried uh, McCallum <laughs> Chen McCallum last night I I may have to uh, add that in that category as well. So for people, people who would not, I'm I'm sure you've tried it. I, I can see you are smiling already. Oh yeah. So I I definitely encourage people to even if you're not a scotch person, even if you're not a scotch person, definitely give it a shot. Trust me, that first sip is worth it. Highly recommend. Uh, it. yeah, those those two. All right. So I just heard last call here at the bar. So I
3: have one final question for you. <laughs> if you opened a cybersecurity theme bar what would the name be? And what would your signature drink be called? I'm going to
0: wait for my dog to be before that. One second. Let me just kill my dog one second. <laughs> I think the dog has an answer. He's trying to tell you. Yeah, I think he has an answer. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely has an answer of what the bar should be called. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, that's my wife's quote. Uh, so a cybersecurity team bar. Uh, I was going to call it a zero day. The zero day. Yeah, the zero okay, day nice. bar. Okay. And your drink? Oh, uh, I would, uh, winds. <laughs>
3: oh, that's a dangerous one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's like, so wind would have 90% alcohol in there <laughs> and 10% soda.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man,
3: that's great. That's great. Well, Ash, thank you for taking us on this uh, on this journey through the cloud and really sharing a lot of information with us. I got to jump on this elevator and get back down to ground level. Um, but I, uh, I I wish you great success with your podcast and all other future endeavors. And real quick before you go, would you mind sharing with the audience your uh, social media footprint, your website, how people can find you?
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks, man. Thanks again for having me. So uh, people can find me uh, on LinkedIn. It's Ashishojan. Uh, uh, and if you're after the podcast, it's www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv. If you're after the Academy, uh, which is the Cloud Security Academy where we teach people how to learn real life industry skills on cloud and how security can be applied in cloud, head to Cloud Security Academy. There's a link for it on our Cloud Security Podcast website. And uh, if you're ever looking for me, uh, I usually hang out on LinkedIn and Twitter or these days I'm on Clubhouse as well answering questions. So it's just Ashish Rajan as the handle. So find me, add me. I moderate a couple of rooms as well. So I'd love to get, get you guys on stage when you come or there. Awesome. And
3: I'll get those links on the website too so our kind of listeners can uh, easily find you. Awesome.
2: It's been an honor and a pleasure, Ash. Uh, look forward oh, to to you again, oh, man. Chris. Thank you so much for this opportunity to... To be a guest on Wonderful Barcode Podcast, looking forward to the next episode. So guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: All right, Mike thanks, thanks, Mike. thanks, man. Have a good one, man.
3: Bye. Take care. Be safe. Barcode patrons. If you enjoyed this episode and want an easy way to support the podcast, please leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you're not on a Mac or iPhone, just visit the slash reviews. I appreciate all the support. Cheers.
0: Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.